listeners, and welcome to Yeah Uh-Huh with Lisa. And Phil. And our frequent flyer guest host, Aaron. Boy, are my arms tired. Hello. <laughs> so who do we have today, Lisa? Our guest this week is Anne Montgomery. Right. She's an accomplished person sports in a journalist. lot of ways. She's been a sports journalist, a TV news anchor. Sports official. Um, she's umpire. written at least three books that I'm aware of. Ice oh, skater. Umpire. Teacher. Ice skater. A long time ago, I was an oh. ice dancer. Oh. Of no talent. Really. <laughs> I was not good, and I'm way too big to be an ice dancer. Those those women are like five feet tall and weigh 80 pounds. Right. So I, I outgrew it pretty quickly. <laughs> it's like ice capade. Is moving, to, is moving to Phoenix a rebellion against the ice skating? No, but, you know, when I was in television, you just at a moment's notice got hired somewhere else and had to leave. So I didn't realize there were there was no ice out here. Uh, and now there is, of course. Now we right. have skating here. And I live relatively close to an arena, but I have hung up my skates. I don't call hockey games anymore, and I don't figure skate anymore. I've fallen enough. <laughs> what is it? Uh, I was, I guess, about seven or eight the first my mom, my time we went to an ice skating rink. And um, a few minutes later, my brother is whizzing around the ice rink, and I am standing there with my feet, and this is my ankle, and this is the skates. And I'm going, Mom, is this okay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. So you're petrified. That yeah. was the end of your skating well, career. I had nothing. I mean, I just- was five. You know, my, my parents took me at five, and my dad was an ice dancer until he was 80. Oh, at which, wow. at which point he became a ballroom dancer. And the day before he fell into a coma and ultimately died, he was nine, oh, just about 96. And uh, he had taken his ballroom dance lesson the day before. So, wow. He didn't fall then. Oh, he felt yes, of course he did. And, you know, it's funny to me. I've I have so many broken bones. You remember when they used to tell us sports were good for us? That's mm-hmm. a lie because every part of me has been X-rayed, and and I've often thought if that, if I was ever abducted and dismembered, they could identify me from any piece because they've all been X-rayed. Yeah. So yeah, my dad fell. We all did. That's part of the deal, skating. But, I was but how close to eighty was he falling? Uh, he. I have a feeling he he didn't tell me why he hung up his skates, but. I'm pretty sure he probably took a bad fall and said that's enough because yeah. he didn't generally fall ballroom dancing. Right, right, right. right. It is actually as much as um, I spent unexpectedly on the ground during my life. I'm uh, what you call klutzy. I'm and, klutzy uh, as well. I have I have never broken a bone. Oh. Don't know why. I wish I could say the same, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't either. There's, there's so many things to talk about. Mm-hmm. With Anne, with all the things she's yeah. done. Why don't so we we're start gonna, with what you guys are Jones into talk well, about? Aaron and I are huge sports fans, you know, mm-hmm. baseball fans in particular. You know, uh, we've been yeah. in the oh, NRBL for so many years. We're big yeah, Reds we, fans. You know, I know yeah. you're familiar with the Reds, probably. Oh, from, of course, from, from I went to Miami. Yeah, yeah. the big red and machine. I know. Yep. Um, yeah, we've been in a. a you know, we play fantasy sports and stuff like that. So you are our first. ESPN host to be uh, on. I guess yeah. that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I worked there two years. Exciting. Well, you know, it's funny. Back then, there were almost no women sportscasters. Yeah. It's amazing how many there are now. Though they don't give them real jobs. Let's be honest. They put them on the sidelines, which is the crappiest job in sports reporting. I mean, would you want to hold a mic up to a coach's face who's losing fifty to nothing in the first half? Probably right. not. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for him to really. Lisa get- would. 
<laughs> yeah, Lisa, Lisa would hold him right through the halftime. He'd miss his halftime speech, probably. Yeah, well, I think my point is I'd rather see some women get invited into the booth now and then, do a little yeah. color play by play, but that's still almost unheard of. It's a little um, bit more of it now. Baseball. In baseball, uh, they had real. an all female booth a couple times this year. Was it last year? Well, I'm, I'm surprised. I know in football, in the NFL, they did it in what, 2018 with, uh, Gail Gardner and, uh, Kramer, Andrea Kramer. Andrea Kramer. They made a big deal out of it, but, you, but you, it was so hard to find the channel they were on and they still yeah. had Joe Buck and, and Aikman doing their thing. So that's who everybody watched. And they, and it kills me. The Pro Football Hall of Fame about a month ago, took the headphones that those women wore in that supposed broadcast and they put them in the Hall of Fame to show, and there's a whole new section in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the women in football. And they <laughs> use that to say, look, aren't we great? We have women in football. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. That, that NFL's nice. progressive now. <laughs> oh, and, and they, I don't know if you know who Jen Welter is, but she was a woman who in 2015, the Arizona Cardinals uh, said, look, we've hired a woman to be a coach. Well, no, they didn't. She was an intern who was there during preseason. And then when the season started, they released her. And damn if her jersey isn't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because she was one of the first women to coach in the NFL, but they didn't invite her to join in for the regular season. So, yeah. It's a I form of appropriation almost, right? <laughs> uh, you know, they're trying to make themselves look better than they do. I will give them this. There are more women officials now, and there are more women in coaching now in an other front office kind of position. So they're trying, but it's to me, it's like, I don't know, 20, 30 years too late. Yesterday or the day before, um, I can't remember her name, Kylie, someone I want to say. she's uh, She got the first base hit for a woman in um, minor league affiliated baseball. Yeah, I, I think I heard that, but she's real, real, real low minors. It's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I, I think yeah, I, I'd like to think it's not just a stunt. Yeah. Um, right. What I don't Apparently, understand is like why... really plus plus defense, and but that that was her first hit. She's hitting like 038. She'll come. Well, I'm thinking of Jessica Mendoza for the Dodgers and uh, the Apple Podcast or the broadcast the uh, Friday Night Baseball. They have a female um, announcer on that, and then there's Susan Waldman in New York. It's so getting better. Bit Don't get me wrong. It is getting better. I, I'm a little cranky about the fact that um, they still don't have any women umpires. And yeah. I was an umpire for 25 years. And mm. it's not rocket science. And they still don't even – I don't even think there are any women in the minor leagues now. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. But why is it so hard to allow a woman to be an umpire? Yeah. yeah, it's hard to move up in umpiring. I think. Well, you know, women are delicate and don't have the kind yes, of. Yes, we are gotta, delicate flowers. I know. Got to get rid of. The, it's hard to get rid of the Angel Hernandezes and the you know the ones that can't make the um, calls. That's exactly I what have, I was thinking of. Yeah. In all honesty, I went to umpire school with Angel. Oh, Not really? with him, but at the same, at the same time, time, concurrently, yeah. 1981, Bill Kinnaman's umpire school. Me and 105 guys, and Angel was one of them. Amazing. And I, I don't know. He was a good umpire once. I, you know, maybe it's just, it gets harder. And yet, and I will say this about officiating at all levels. It used to be you make a crappy call. Everybody screams and yells. Maybe you get a police escort to your car and then it's <laughs> over. Now everything's on the internet. Yeah. And every time you turn around, officials are being slammed on the internet. They're, yeah. they're places where they live are being exposed. People the uh, umpire scorecard, yeah, tracks it. Yeah, what's, what's I don't the ball mean, is right for I don't object to that, but I object to the fact that pretty soon we're not going to have enough officials to call like amateur ball. Right, right. now in the state of Arizona, I, I was a football official here 
I was a football official for 40 years. I was a, a referee and crew chief for 24. Right now, they're having to reschedule all our Friday night varsity games, or, or half of them, because there aren't enough fit, uh, crews to cover the games because people uh, officials are quitting. You can't keep an official for more than two years. And the old people are retiring. I retired in 2019. And the young people are not willing to let people be crappy to them. And right, right you know, let's face it, we get spit on. We, we, people scream and yell at us and you have to learn to deal with that. Young people are not willing to do that. They get their feelings hurt way too easily. So yeah. at some point we may not have any officials. I don't, I don't know how well compensated they are to go through that either. I mean, oh, they're not honestly, I, unless you're in the major leagues, the money is not worth the aggregate. Nothing at all. Almost. And, and, Football, you know, our football season just started here, our high school football. We would have started training in July. I, You have to go to rules meetings. You've got to watch film. You have to take a national exam that you need every year that you need to get a 90 or above on. It's 100 rules. And, and it's a lot of time and effort that you don't get paid for. So really what they're paying high school officials, even in states like Texas, where they get a cut of the gate, um, it's it's not worth it financially. You have to love it to do it. And I did love it. I miss football desperately sometimes, but I just can't do it anymore. I broke my back and my leg and I've had rotator cuff surgery twice. So, Uh, wow. So evil can evil. (laughs) Yes. I feel like him sometimes. I do. Evil can evil. Yeah. I got the, I got the motorcycle, you know, the old crank motors, but, um, (laughs) but if you look at some of your stuff online, you know, I saw you sitting next to Mike Tarico, who's the, uh, he was my partner there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lead analyst on, uh, Sunday night football, I think, on NBC. Yeah, well, we, we anchored Sports Center together. Um, and you have to understand Sports Center is entry level at ESPN. And, uh, eventually you're supposed to move into some other sport where you're an expert. Yeah. Um, but two years there was quite enough. It wasn't any fun. Oh my gosh. They never let me leave. It yeah. was just anchoring constantly. And honestly, if you've been a reporter where you get to go out and meet people and do stories, I mean, it used to be hearing it. I was the beat reporter with the, with the NFL Cardinals, um, when the, their first two years here in Arizona. So I got to go on their planes and, and stay in the same hotels and be in the press box and on the field and do, and I never got to do that at ESPN. I was stuck there. And so I really, it wasn't any fun. And then I was, I was nearing 40 and they suddenly after five TV stations, uh, no one was interested in putting me on the air anymore because I wasn't pretty enough to be in front of a camera. Sounds so a lot now like, we know what's important. <laughs> sounds a lot like Kate and Wolfcatcher, huh? You know, did you notice that? I kind yeah, of what a segue. Yes, <laughs> yes. I will tell you the whole modern day story of that book is mm. absolutely true because I was writing, I was hired to write a magazine article about the magician and all everything she went through, with the exception of the flying bullets, because no one shot at me, uh, all the other parts of it are are true. Well, since Aaron introduced the topic, we're talking about <laughs> um, Anne's book, Wolfcatcher, her latest book that uh, Aaron and I have read. Mm-hmm. Lisa read a different book that we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, mm-hmm. what were you saying, Aaron? Um, oh, I was about to say uh, the one one thing that was uh, interesting was. I don't know if he changed the name for Dr. Crane, but it kept making me think of Frazier every time. I'd, I'd, I'd read Dr. Crane and I'd think, I'm listening to Seattle. <laughs> Here's what I had to do. Uh, most of those conversations I actually had with an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was true that that I had an appointment with an archaeologist that I'd worked with previously on a story, and he stiffed me. He, the the, the uh, man who ran the Northern Museum of Northern Arizona, he so refused. That, to that plot me. point even was all true. real. Yeah, and I was pissed. 
and and I'm up there and I'm on, you know, I'm on my mat. The magazine's dime. It's got to stay in a hotel. I mean, it was crazy. So my my editor said, go to Northern Arizona University. I have a friend there who's an archaeologist and he'll talk to you. And that's the man who Crane is is modeled after. But I never even put his name in the in the credits or the acknowledgments because the archaeologists don't want to work with. with The problem being is that the Hopi people were upset that anybody would even discuss the magician because they consider him an ancestor and you don't talk about the dead. And they, that letter I put in there from the Hopi tribal council was the exact letter they sent to told me to cease and desist doing the story. And my editor said, do it anyway. So I never put the name of the actual archaeologist in there to protect him. So that because the, what they could do is if he wants to go investigate on Hopi land, they'll just pull his permits. So I'm curious now, the question just occurred to me. Did did they do any DNA testing on the they magician? They refused. They refused uh-huh. categorically. So, so we don't know that he had blue eyes. Oh, no, 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 we don't. But okay. the, the research I've done since and, and since then, because actually I wrote this book quite a while ago and mm-hmm. uh more and more things are coming out. Like if you go to England, for example, they have no trouble DNA, you know, 5,000 year old bones. They don't care. But here we do have a problem with it. Even though many of the bodies that have turned up over the years, some of them are clearly Caucasian and nobody knows how they got here. So the magician was not a one-off. I mean, there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Eric, the red. There you go. Well, he came to the Americas. Well, you know, the thing is, is the the Vikings didn't leave a lot behind. They were they didn't have a lot of stuff, you know, like pottery, for example. You can't destroy pottery. It's it, it'll last for thousands and thousands of years. But the Vikings didn't carry much that that would have survived. And this is why we have a hard time. A boat. <laughs> yeah, well, Vikings were more involuntary borrowers than uh, than creators. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they were fabulous. I think they were fabulous. I'm sorry. In foreign countries. They did a lot of running around. Yes, they did. But we have to remember, too, that that immigration came the other way, through Asia, over the Bering Strait. Um, right. and, and there were people in there's uh, I wrote about it in the book about the the hundred redheaded um, uh, corpses they found buried in a desert in like Mongolia somewhere. And they clearly, they're wearing actually plaid garments that they trace back to the Germany, you know, the British Isles kind of area. So, and these are over a thousand years old. Hmm. So, you know, we're playing games when we pretend Columbus was the first European here. He wasn't. Oh yeah. No, no, that's fiction. So we should say that the book does Mm -hmm. a a great job of bringing together Mm -hmm. very diverse periods of history, you know, like the dark period of history that's really not very well documented. The, talking about uh, the same region of Ridge Ruin, where mm-hmm. the magician's uh, remains were found like in the 40s, right? Isn't that the case? 1939. Yeah. Was, yeah. And, and it was, the, you know, back then, even you had uh, only a certain amount of time on digs, and they found them on the last day. So they were... You know, in those days, we dug people up and stuck them in museums. We don't do that anymore, but we did that with him and his funerary objects. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was upset when the, when the archaeologists wouldn't speak to me because they, they pulled all of the, all of his objects out of display and put them in a back room and wouldn't allow me to see any of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had the original paper that was written, uh, that was given to the American Philosophical Society by the archaeologist who 
dug him up, John C. McGregor. And it was very detailed and had pictures of, of, uh, of the magician in his grave and pictures of the pottery and everything. So I utilized that and stuck to it as solidly as I could. So the historical parts are correct. Um, but yeah, I was never able to see any of the bits. But the ridge ruin was sort of, it was, uh, it was uh, formed out of a volcanic eruption, right? No, no. Uh, Rich Ruin, uh, there was a volcanic eruption about the time of the magician. Uh, the Craner volcano er erupted and created itself. And today it's a national, it's a park. Um, the Rich Ruin was, it was, it's a flat area and it's a little hillside and they built their Pueblo on that hill. They can see where the, where the volcano grew from there, but, but it was just a, you know, an open area. They liked it. It, it had, um, Three sides completely open to where you could see far away to protect themselves. And um, there might have been water running there then. There's not today. Today, you wouldn't even know there was anything there. It uh -huh. just looks like a barren, empty hillside. Because after they dug up the magician, they reburied it. Because we have a horrible problem with archaeological looting here. Mm -hmm. um, people are taking backhoes, cleaning out archaeological sites. We have over 100,000 archaeological sites in Arizona that haven't even been cataloged. So we don't even know what's in them. Yeah, and people right. are stealing it all the time. So in order to protect there's, what's left of the very Pueblo, few enforcement it. officers too, right? Over yeah, that's why I put them in there. Right. That's why I put them in there because their job is almost impossible. And, and once you remove a pot from where it sits in the earth, you've removed it from its historical significance. Yeah. So we can't learn anything from it anymore. Evidence it's just tampering. a pretty pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that all plays prominently into the book. You you uh you go over the uh, the looting and the issue with looting and and that's a main part of the story with the character Mosby, is it? Yes, and he's yeah. typical. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm big into mysteries and that kind of thing and and they always make the criminals out to be brilliant. They're not. They're mostly yeah. dopes. And <laughs> I was a teacher for 20 years, trust me. <laughs> I could, <laughs> I can see which ones are going to end up to be Mosby. And uh I I just he's an idiot. But he's still a criminal. And, uh, yeah. And, and it is a family thing. A lot of people take their kids out to dig up poxy illegally. And I don't understand that. They don't seem to care what, about it. I can see how, yeah, you developed the character that, that way because of his inner voice, his thoughts and things like that were very presumptive of people, very judgmental, very, I guess. Oh, yeah. My, uh, li my life is everybody else's fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody else is an idiot, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm embarrassed to admit I sometimes like to kill my characters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Should I say that? I don't uh, know. <laughs> oh, he didn't quite die, right? He oh, left in a yeah, really bad it took state. a long time, though. <laughs> well, there's a team. We won't ruin the book. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of your many interests is in minerals, right? I mean, you you enjoy yes. the study of minerals and rocks formations and stuff. So um, tell us, I mean, that obviously plays into this book as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I have been collecting rocks since I look, they have home movies of me in diapers when I was two and I have a cup and I'm putting rocks in it. All right. Mm -hmm. Right now, like 20 feet from me, there's 400 specimens just in my living room. Mm -hmm. um, I am a rocker. My friends used to make fun of me every summer when I went to camp, my mother would take my rocks and throw them in the garden. They'd sink in the rain I'd come home and dig them up and bring them all back in. So I don't know Where's why I'm like this. <laughs> I don't know why I'm a rocker, but Arizona is a fabulous place to do that. We have thousands of abandoned mines here. 
I've been in lots of them. <laughs> and uh, I truly, it, it's it's like, you know, you have you seen when people go uh, and look for t- buried treasure or treasure or, or ships that have sunk with with jewels and gold it's like that it's digging for treasure to me and and i i love being outdoors i i'm i like being in wilderness i don't like you know, you remember when you were young and you wanted to be around where everybody else was and then you got older and went i don't want to be around anybody am yeah. i the only one here i'm i'm older no. than you with a book thanks yeah, yeah. and I'd, I'd, be, over, I'd, I'd be like hiked 50 over a thousand miles, miles. yeah I've hiked a thousand miles since the pandemic, actually. But but it feels nice to be without other people, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Well, rocking <laughs> is kind of like that for me. It's like fishing. You know, it's like trout fishing. You don't always have to catch something. It's about being out there. I know uh my brother uh he wa- he was into picking up rocks a lot, not necessarily keeping them, but he would pick them up. And to this day there is a fossil at the uh Cincinnati uh museum with his name on it oh that's yeah. cool yeah awesome. he found a fossil he donated it to the the history museum and it's i assume they still have it i mean it's not on display but they still have it yeah well that's 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 probably what we should be doing with them um, yeah. suddenly minerals have become huge business and fossils big business that's why people are like with uh, like uh, when they're attacking uh, archaeological sites, they're doing it to mineral sites too because they're assets and they're one of a kind, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, this was when he was like six or seven. So well, I, I'm 67 and I haven't I'm, stopped. I probably never will. <laughs> I, I assume he still picks up interesting. I know he always picks up interesting things. He's honestly a bit of a hoarder. If he if he had a place, he would probably have it full you know, a place like, you know, that, yeah. Well, my parents went to a boat club when I was a kid, and you'd be amazed at the, at the types of rocks that would wash up on the shore with a flood, and then it would recede, and you'd go down there, and all these smooth, you know, some of them were smooth, you know, you'd look at them, and they'd have, look like crystals in them and things, and oh, yeah. I remember, yeah. you know. And- after, you- ra- after it rains, that's when everybody goes rocking. Also, I, I'm a scuba diver. So um I'm on a lot of beaches and stuff. And yes, there are fabulous things floating around in the sea. Yeah. I can't help it when I'm diving. Sometimes I forget I should be looking at fish and I'm looking at the rocks. <laughs> yeah. I was just in yeah. the uh, tide pools a couple days ago. We camped at Leo Carrillo State Beach. Oh, that and, sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, saw lots of sea anemones and starfish and crab. Right. Yeah, yeah, we, d- we went down there when we visited. Aaron took us down there. and uh, about 20 degrees cooler, too. The rock yeah, crab is wasted on you, Aaron. You're vegan. <laughs> I'll never think of a California beach else. the same way. When I think of a California beach now, I think of uh, the you know the cavernous uh, rock formations and you know all of the, what we saw that day more so than like you know when we actually Frankie Avalon. And, <laughs> and uh, what's amazing is uh, being hundreds of feet up above the ocean and coming across like fossils of shells and fish and stuff people yeah. are often surprised that arizona used to be underwater yeah. we had the great inland sea that went all the way to flagstaff and all the way up to i don't know oregon maybe and so we have many sea fossils here and people are surprised when they'll kick over a shell fossil in the middle of the desert i'm like well it was ocean bottom right. yeah uh, i believe i don't know if we were part of that but we definitely had i think we might have been here in the ohio valley it might have come all the way over this way because we. No, that was a different one. That the was. Fossils? Okay. 
Yeah, I remember the fossils in in Ohio, how, in Miami, in Oxford. Um, yeah. the, the paving stones were solidly filled with fossils. I found that fascinating as a kid, and uh, now a college kid. And I, I but I I kept thinking they might be upset if I started hammering away at the flagstones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Phillips uh, or Danny's find the the stone that he the the fossil that he found was I think it was a trilobite. Trilobite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it, little roaches. Yeah, it was like an ocean, though. They said it was definitely a, a sea creature. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Why don't we take a break for our sponsor here? Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we'll talk to Anne about mm-hmm. the book that you read. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, did you ever work with George Grand? George Grand. No. Remember him? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was it. Was that ESPN? Yeah, he was like the original. He was like the very like when they went on the air for the first time. He was the guy behind the desk. Yeah, I think I was. That was ten years before I got there. So I, oh, yeah. I was there ninety to ninety two. So I, I didn't think, know how long he was there. So yeah. Yeah. No, the only one that was there from the original times was uh, Boomer. Um, oh, Chris Berman. Chris Berman. Chris and I uh, had the same agent and. And grew up in New Jersey and liked skating. Yeah. yeah, he's a good guy. I just, I worry about him. I think he's getting a little, I don't know. It's yeah. Living on the road is not easy. So we're back. So Lisa. Still, they're old. You read a different book mm-hmm. than I Anne did. Penn. I read Wild Horses on the Salt. Um, I, I've always been a horse person. I consider the horse my spirit animal. Uh, and... Uh, even as a child, when I would be sitting there on Saturday morning watching old westerns with my dad, um, I would sit there and, you know, people would die. People would die. People would die. And I'd be like, Daddy, the horse died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but he's like, yeah. honey, don't you care about the people? And I said, well, they'll be back next week. Well, that's what the cowboys were. You no, know, because those westerns used the same guys over and over again. Oh, so. I think by even like six or seven, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not real. But the horsey died. Well, you right. shoot it well, up, you might get a pass. You yeah, kill the yeah. horse and get hung, right? Right. Well, That's yeah. what it is in the Old West. Okay. Yeah. You don't mess yeah. with somebody's horse. That that was their livelihood. You know, you right. couldn't. Yeah. No. But we have a very, we have a big problem with wild horses here. And much like many uh, several states in the West, um, the problems being that there are too many of them. And as Phoenix expands and Phoenix looks like LA now, when you fly into it, it's massive. And so the spaces that those horses uh, lived in are now being overrun with ranchettes and roads. And so that's a huge problem. The other problem is they are destroying uh, the ecology of the river. The salt river um, is a huge habitat for birds, for example, uh, and the Audubon Society people hate the horses because what do they do? They eat all the little plants. They eat the baby cottonwoods that can't grow to protect the stream, to allow the birds to have a place to live. And then the fish are dying because the water's too hot because there's no shade. And the, the cows are, are doing the horses are not indigenous, right? They're, they were no, well, and that's the argument that and, and I talk about that in wild horses because let's face it, there were no horses in the Americas when Columbus got here. There had been 10,000 years ago, but they all died out at the end of the Ice Age. So there were no horses. So the Spaniards brought horses here that escaped and multiplied. And that's how we have horses today. So a lot of people, especially the Audubon people, say they're an invasive species. 
And they're mm-hmm. probably correct. The other problem is a lot of those horses were not wild horses to begin with. They were people's horses back in the 80s. And horses are expensive to take care of. And sometimes people just turn them out because they couldn't feed them. And so they bred. So now are the offspring of those horses, are they wild because they were born wild? Or are they domestic? It's a huge fight because, it, for example, it is illegal to feed a bear here. You can't feed wild animals here. It's against the law. Yet we have a whole group of people who are out feeding wild horses. So if they're wild and they're feeding them, that's illegal. And But if they're feral, then, then you can shoot them and get rid of them because they were from domesticated stock. It's so a how can you prove which is which? Well, it's their, and you yeah, can't, it's impossible. That's the crux of the issue, yeah. Yeah, and some of them, you know, I, I struggle. I do not want to hurt a horse. I want them to be happy, but I also understand that many thousands of them are corralled. No one, no one will adopt them because they're expensive. The federal government is spending, spending millions and millions and millions of dollars every year to try to feed them, and they're stuck in corrals. This is not a way a wild animal should live. Is it kinder to put them down? I don't know. And then we have people hit them with cars all the time. Um, they can be a nuisance. And that's what the book, the book is partially about that, as as you know, from reading it. Yeah. I have a very controversial idea. Uh, hunting season. Yes. And people go crazy. And, and But the problem is we have people hunting them. We have people killing them, like whole families of them, babies and everything, just leaving them there. Aww. Not like they're taking them and doing anything with them. And and though I didn't put it in the book, I, I'm pretty. Some of them are just drunks being idiots and shooting big things. And yeah, other ones, I think, are the cattle ranchers. Featured in the book. Yeah, and then they're cattle ranchers who are paying to run their cattle on public land, paying not very much. And the horses are competition for grazing areas, so they don't want they want their cattle to have all the all the the grazing areas. And so I think some of them are killing the horses, but it's a mess. And I wish I had an answer. I wish I could fix it. Uh, Cause there's nothing more thrilling than being out on the river and here comes a herd of wild horses. It's just mesmerizing to me. And now, uh, now, is there a hunting season on horses? Oh gosh, no, not not a public one. Um, You know, sometimes I think not in Arizona, but in some places, maybe they used to go out and shoot them. Hell, we used to use them for cat and dog food. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but there's a huge outcry when anybody wants to kill a horse here because it's sort of, especially in the West here, it's the symbol of the West and they're right. beautiful. Well, and, and we, we have deer meat. We have deer. Deer are beautiful animals. They're I wild know. animals and hunting season is used to call the population so that they don't over, you know, so right. I mean, if, if we can accept that, well, I think you'd have a real fight on your hands. Yeah, no, people will go insane. If they, yeah. there will be horrible publicity. Nobody wants to see a dying horse. Um, yeah. Again, it is the symbol of the West, um, and uh, I don't know what to do about it either, quite honestly. And I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather they be happy and wild if we can have some of them than locked in a corral. Uh, if we can humanely destroy them, get, okay. I don't love that idea, but I understand it. Uh, but we don't eat horse here. Yeah. No. And then in Europe, it's actually not uncommon to see it on the menus. Oh, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. I lived in, in Luxembourg. And and one night they said, oh, we're going to have our, our, our the Luxembourg dinner. That That's the traditional dinner. And damn if it wasn't horse. Wow. And, you yeah, they said, we're having Cheval for dinner. And, and, you know, when I found out, I couldn't go. 
And I, I've never refused to eat anything in my life, but I couldn't yeah. eat horse. And, and I think it's a hard sell with Americans. And, and I've had cricket, grasshopper, snake, alligator. I've got all that. Yeah. I'm actually vegan, but right. I do understand that horses really lean meat. And I'm not arguing that. I'm it, yeah. like, for example, I'm not a hunter. But I don't object to, to people who are proper hunters. You shoot an animal, you track it till you make sure it's dead, you pack it out and you eat it or right. give it to someone who will. I don't have a problem with that. But I right. just think that killing a horse would be a difficult okay. thing. And if Safeway suddenly had horse meat in the in the freezer, I, I I think people would get upset. What are the answers? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I wrote the book. I, I will say at uh uh Jungle Gyms, I have seen a rattlesnake, an actual rattlesnake, coiled up and frozen. Well, yeah, the, the, no one is horribly attached to rattlesnakes. Right, um, it's not the same kind of creature. Right, um, and and I, I don't know. I, I think many people in the country are, never have any access to a wild horse, so they don't really see it. Um, right. It's the idea. Like when you were little, you got upset because the horse got hurt. Right? right, that's maybe built into us. I and don't know. I had never seen a horse. Yeah. No, we don't yeah. eat dog either. Right? Let me right. just clarify here. No, no, Aaron and I, I did not. Ever, re- I don't know if I'd be able to eat dog unless the apocalypse approaches. That, Aaron right. and I did not read this book. Is that what the central right. story of the book is? Is it a well? Is it about okay? There's a couple of central stories. One, it's the story of a woman who's escaping her abusive husband and and family. Um, two, it's the story of. Um, a uh uh and in and also it highly features the whole thing with the birds versus the um uh the horses and the the difficulty is very well you do a very good job of purporting that idea yeah it's about nature it's man versus nature what we're doing to our wild environment which is very important to me you know it's funny i spent my life in sports but I don't write any sports books. All my books are about issues like what are we doing to our wildlands or strangely domestic violence or child abuse or there cult. is, there is the ball game and wolf catcher. I always throw some kind of, yeah. And you know what? That's how I found the magician because yeah, I wrote a, a magazine article about the ball courts mm-hmm. and that was my first magazine article. Um, and it was shocking to me that they'd hire me because I had a background as a sports reporter and they sent me to do this story on ball courts, which is great. And that's, and when I was out so there, that, with was, the that was your first story as a journalist then? Uh, no, as a, as, a, as a magazine writer. I was okay. a newspaper writer before that, but it was my first one, I think in, in magazines. And, uh, the gentleman who took me out there was the one that later stiffed me. The one that was mm. at the museum. Um, he's the one that said the magician was found just up the hill because he took me to Rich Ruin. For the ball court. So that's yeah. how I ended up there. But yeah, I, I don't really write about sports. I write a blog about sports on occasion, but um, no, I write about issues and people ask me, how did I end up like that since sports were my life? Well, after I got out of sports, I became a teacher and uh, I just, I don't know how I just did. And I ended up teaching in a title one school, which of course is where 70% of the kids live in poverty. And I kept running into these children who had horrible family lives and problems. And, and uh, so a lot of my books are about issues that people face, whether it's domestic violence or um, PTSD or uh, any number of things, but I, I love, I love the wild world. And so all of Arizona's, the natural part of Arizona is always like a character in my books. The first five books are about Arizona. 
No, I, I will say as a woman raised by strong women and a Marine father, um, I won't say that I enjoyed the resolution to the main story, but I kind of did. I know I did too. <laughs> and I like that it took a while. I'm sorry, yeah. but I, you know, again, I've mentioned I like to kill people in my book. I, I like, um, slowly, apparently. I like a, a good, mildly biblical retribution. Yeah, it seems mildly good. biblical. Spoiler alert, but Wild Horses on the Salt was really good. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So you were satisfied, as yeah. was Wolfcatcher. And, and the, the kind of almost twin storylines of of recovery and return to happiness, if nothing else, of uh, the red horse and um, our protagonist, whose name escapes me right now. What's her name? Uh, oh, this uh, is horrible. I can't remember either. What's uh, her name? Well, See, this is a problem. Well, I've written nine books. Book. Yeah. Now you got to read the book so you'll know what her name, name is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maggie. No, Maggie's the castle. That one's about a serial no. rapist. Yeah. That now, Gabby right. is the owner of the inn. Yes. And, um, we'll just call her Kate Butler. What the hell? Okay. But, um, <laughs> but no, no, that's no. the other book. Okay. Yeah, that's I think the I one. I remember Catherine. all my protagonists, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Wild Horses on the Salt is a very good book. Uh, it's a bit of a slow burn. And, uh, and as it climbs the hill, you definitely want to keep going. Well, I love the Western backdrop back, uh, oh, yeah. for any story, uh, really. It's the, really cool. Yeah, the uh, excellent. Rebecca. Uh, well, Rebecca. have you been to Arizona? No. No. Yeah, it's um. people always think all of Arizona is the desert, and it's not. I live in the Snor Phoenix is in the Sonoran Desert, which is magnificently beautiful when you get out of town. And it's the only place like it on the planet. All the, Many of the cactuses and the animals that live here live nowhere else. In the world, you know, you know, a saguaro, our iconic big giant cactuses, they don't grow anywhere in the world but here. And yeah. so, but but the but I can drive an hour and a half from here and be four thousand feet up and in in mountains. It can be eighty five degrees here in April, and then I can go a couple hours. I could go skiing if I still skied. So it's it's incredibly diverse. And mm. I've I've written five novels based in different places in Arizona, and I really like that. I like writing about nature. I like writing about rocks and birds and lizards and trees and things. So, well, yeah. I'd love to go. Or the only time we've ever been west was last year when we visited Aaron, and we did see. Mm -hmm. We went from Las Vegas to California, and that's the first time I'd yeah, seen that. I, I drove them from Las Vegas to California. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he came up and met us. We we did a few days in Vegas and. Uh, we got to do uh, uh, we got to do a couple shows, and then we did a Vegas experience with uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Yeah, but the, know, the terrain was just spectacular. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it is, months. especially yeah. if you're from the East. I mean, I'm from New Jersey, and I went to school in Ohio, so that yeah. was my normal. I came out here. I thought someone had dropped me on another planet, but it grows on you after a while. Yeah. But I tell you what. If we do, it probably you know the Reds train out in Arizona now. Oh yes, so always exactly. wanted to do a spring training uh, yeah. trip out there. Yeah, yeah. We'll be in Goodyear sometime or other. And that actually was uh, 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 that's on the radar. I'm the one who plans our trips, and um, he hates traveling, so I always put something specifically for him in our travel. Like for instance, history. Um, Dodger Stadium, uh, spring training, yeah. 
uh, yeah, we did a tour of Dodger Stadium when we were out there. And uh, the Brat Pack uh, experience was more for him and the rest of Vegas was more for me. Although actually, it was freezing when we were there. I was ice cold. That's really rare. We off Fremont Street. It was, uh, and, it was October, uh, late October. So Philip was truly enjoying like Fremont Street and wandering around and the free bands and, and getting some frozen cocktails. So there I am. Um, when I'm, when I'm out walking, I currently use a wheelchair and there I am with a frozen drink in a wheelchair and it's 50 degrees. Dude. That's extremely rare. It, it really is. It's, yeah, we don't usually do cold weather. At night, it gets cold in the desert. During our our Vegas to California trip, not only did it rain in Vegas and California, but it was 60 degrees when we got back to Cincinnati. It was probably about 112 in Vegas right now. It was for my birthday. So my birthday is October 23rd. And it was late October. Which is the same as Weird Al, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Weird Al and I that reference in every episode. Yeah, yeah, weird right. now. Gotta get that in. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. but they do share I a birthday. also have Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. There you go. All right. Uh, and so mm-hmm. you talked about uh, being inspired by causes or by uh, things that you see that uh, bother you. Social the... issues, environmental yeah. issues. Yeah. So what's uh, what's forming in your creative mind right now? What What do you see that maybe you might be... It's coming down the pike. Um, Well, I I took a complete left turn uh, with a a novel that my agent's trying to sell now. And it's uh, a a friend of mine was facing a very difficult surgery. She was in Johns Hopkins Hospital and she had a tumor wrapped around her spine. And Mm -hmm. uh, she was facing possible like the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And uh, her husband's a three tour crazy veteran who can't be in hospitals. So I was her power of attorney. So I flew to Baltimore to be with her through that surgery, which went fine. She walks, she's okay, but we didn't know. And the night before her surgery, she handed me a plastic baggie full of letters from that were 75 years old that were written by an uncle who never came back from World War II. And he died strangely. And she said, you have to write a book about Uncle Bud. And I went, oh, yeah, okay, fine, right? And it turns out he was hit by a train at the end of the war. Uh, but his he was told, that the family was told it was just a tragic accident. However, the man was in a um, a graves unit. Do you know what those were no. or are? Okay, picture Norm. I followed, I traced his steps through the postmarks on his letters because there are no records of these guys anymore because in the 1970s, the St. Louis Depository where they had all the military records burned down. So I couldn't get access to his records, but I did have the postmarks on all his letters. And I followed him from Norman, from basic training in, in, uh, I want to say Wisconsin to, um, Normandy, mm-hmm. uh, Battle of the Bulge. He was with Patton in Czechoslovakia. He was in Nuremberg at the end of the war, but he was in a graves unit. And those were the guys that have to clean up the bodies. Mm-hmm. So oh, when you, yeah, no one ever talks about them. They're never in the movies, are they? But here's the deal. When those guys hit the beaches at Normandy, they were mowed down. There were thousands of bodies and and body parts. And they kept bringing guys in day after day. And someone had to pick those bodies up and do something with them. So if you've ever traveled, I mean, there are American cemeteries in, I think, 18 countries and a couple of other areas in the world that Americans built 
They collected the bodies. They identified the bodies the best they could. They buried them in makeshift graves and then later went back and made permanent American cemeteries. Um, and no one ever talks about these men and the crap they went through. Um, I actually yeah. found one reference to these guys, uh, a book called uh, Crosses in the Winds, which was written by in 1947 by a lieutenant colonel who commanded these men. It is the most harrowing, horrible th stuff you'll ever read that these guys had to do. And mm. I won't go into it here because it's pretty off-putting. But mm. the idea was these men were beaten down by, you know, let's face it. I'll give you one example. You know what a Higgins boat is? Those, mm -hmm. those no. boats that land at Normandy that dropped the gate and the men ran okay, out. Yeah. Very yeah. often they were gunned down right there and all killed. Six weeks after Normandy, a bunch of these graves guys were taken back to the beach and they said, there's a Higgins boat out there, but it's underwater. And we know their bodies there. You've got to go get them. So six weeks later, they're, they don't have scuba gear. They have to go down under the water and retrieve bodies and body parts. Now think about what that would do to you psychologically. Oh, yeah. Right. So, well, and they couldn't have been the most respected amongst their... You are so, absolutely right. Because what would I, happen... I'm guessing that some of them were conscientious objectors, maybe? No, no. The way they did it is my understanding is that when you went to basic training, they interview you mm -hmm. and they say, OK, well, what can you do? Like, mm -hmm. I'm a chef. Well, then they're probably going to make you a cook. Right. But no. they would ask, how do you feel about dead bodies? Does it mm -hmm. bother you? And you might be a doctor and say, yeah, it doesn't bother me. In this guy's case, as a young man, he grew up in, in Indiana by the railroad tracks. And there were that this was during the depression and trains would come through and people would hop on them and to try to get somewhere. And, and often they fell off and got crushed by the train. And he would ha he would help the local people go gather up the body parts off, off the railroad. And sometimes they. Yeah, he was just a kid, like 14. And, and there were stories that he would, you know, every all the men helped do this to clean up the railroad tracks. You can't have body parts behind your house on the railroad tracks. So when he got to basic training, they said, how do you feel about body parts? And he probably said, oh, that doesn't bother me. I used to collect them on the railroad. Right. So he got stuck in this unit and, th and there's no getting out of it. And wow. it was horrible. And many of these men came back permanently damaged. But no, but here's the sad thing. Other soldiers shunned them. If they yeah. were coming through with their truck full of bodies, um, yeah. The other soldiers would turn their backs on them. Yeah, you think about what it's foolish. like even to this day to be a uh, an undertaker. Yeah, yeah, but and here's the thing no. that's hard for me is that these that. guys, these people, busted their tails to make sure other soldiers didn't have to see the mounting horrors of war. Yeah. And and it, I believe after the research I did that this man committed suicide. I'm sure he did. And, and the sad part is he's still in France. He's buried in France in Epinal in one of the cemeteries we built. And we talked to the Marine who runs the place and he pulled the burial card for us. And I know that Bud got commendations because he wrote to his family about how his unit got commendations. You know, they get medals and things. Right. And right. when they read his burial card, oh that part of the card was completely blank. And they that's said, what happens when you commit suicide is they take all your medals and accommodations away. That's, so, that's No, I just read another story about a guy who, who uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor and mm -hmm. became an alcoholic and got thrown out of the military. And they took mm -hmm. his honors back. 
Yeah, he committed suicide. Yeah, he committed. He committed suicide in his fifties. This is so, uh, my dad was a marine. As I said, he was in Korea. Ah, uh, the uh, the space in the middle there is supposed to be his purple heart. It's on the. But it, 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 kind it of, slid down to the yeah. bottom of the frame. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I got we got some new putty. I'm going to put it back up. Yeah, but see what uh, they my aunt done. and her husband made that for uh, who was also a marine made that for my dad. Well, the sad thing is, if if during and, and you know, Bud, I'm pretty sure he parked his jeep in front of a train track. He did, which yeah. seemed kind of interesting to me because he'd spent his young his youth cleaning up bodies off the train track behind his house. Do you but, think he felt it was somewhat poetic? Yes, I do. To go out I, on a train where he started, maybe. But the thing that's so sad is that the military totally shunned him. They. Yeah. They don't want to talk about the suicides. That, what, 22 American veterans are committing suicide every day? And yeah, nobody but that needs about to that. stop. It's bad for recruiting. It has to stop. Yeah, it is bad. And, and, and if you go in, my friend who was in the hospital who made me write this book, her husband is clearly out of his mind. He's done three tours, two in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. And when he's trying to be in the hospital for her, he sees soldiers screaming at him to help them. Help me, Sarge. Help me, Sarge. And, and they were dying. And, and he can't be there. And and you can't go and say you have a, you have, you know, mental illness. They'll throw you out. So, yeah, that so I did write that book. That's out there. But it's a hard sell. So you're, you're out if you admit you're sick and you're out right. if you die because you can't handle it anymore. You, yeah. can, you can almost imagine yeah. the, you know, the stigmatized uh, uh, nature, like the combat soldiers may look at this unit. It's like, this is, uh, you know, this is uh, the death knell. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and you can almost imagine the, like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, like the Grim Reapers here. So yeah, we don't yeah, want, but, you know. But the yeah. sad thing is, is today when people go to Normandy, they go to the cemetery those men built. And the same way uh, in Luxembourg, there's the one where Patton is buried, a massive cemetery built by Americans. And there's also German soldiers. They also had to they had to clean up whoever was dead. It didn't matter if you were American or German or French. That's all they did. It was I think it, it ate away. That had to be psyche. Yeah. Psychologically damaging. Yeah. Vonnegut had to do some of that. Yes. Fahrenheit 451. No. Wasn't uh, it in that? Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse yes, Five. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. Similar. Yeah, that yeah. was the bombing of Dresden, right? Yes. I, yes. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful stuff. And um, I I know that there is some uh, I guess uh, reform that's been proposed, but one of the problems is that uh, I would say probably the majority of Congress was predominantly raised during a time when um, your mental illness was shameful and you hid it. Or are you well, it's still it? like that a lot. It's still like that. Well, in the yeah. I think it's getting a little better. At least I hope it is. I know that, um, like, for instance, uh, my mother's cousin who was uh, mentally, uh, she was mentally retarded uh, because of a very high fever when she was four. And her parents just kept her at home and her mother took care of her. And uh, when her mother got sick, when she was like, I guess about 38 years old, um, they ended up finding a place for her. And within two years, she had her own apartment. She had her own bank account. She had a job. She had a boyfriend. Up to that point, her mother had dressed her, tied her shoes. I mean, because they just didn't try to, you know, and, and 
I am not saying anything against my aunt. She or our my great aunt. She did an amazing job raising her children. But, um, mm. but you know, I mean, yeah. you you had she was raising it. She was holding down a house, and she by then she was much. She had their they had their children when they were older. You know, I I think in uh, a couple decades ago, people did not expect handicapped children to be anything. They just said, oh, you're not like everybody else, so you're never going to succeed. As opposed to today, and this is my me as a teacher speaking, is that we try to see what kids can do. What are they capable of? I have five kids, all uh, that were my students. Well, they, yeah, four of them were my students. They were in foster care or they were in, they were homeless or whatever. And my youngest son is autistic and his family they rejected him and he ended up in foster care and he ended up in my, I, I was a reading specialist for five years and this kid sits in front of me and I tested him. He read at the college level. And I said, what are you doing in a remedial reading class? And he said, I don't know. So I called the counselors and they said, Oh, he's special ed. He has to be in a reading class. I said, he reads at the college level. They said, well, he's autistic. I said, that has nothing to do with his intelligence and they wouldn't move him. So we still have I, some I of this. Like, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, special schools, you know, uh, side schools, Montessori. Yeah. Well, but we the thing do is- have a school that is geared towards that in Cincinnati uh, called the Springer School. And yes, uh, Jerry Springer, his family is involved in that because of uh, a special needs relative. And that's how the Springer School came about, because that relative was not being the needs were not met. And the family saw this child's needs. And well, so they, and we assume school. we want to assume that someone's in special ed so that they can never be successful. Last right. May, my son graduated from Arizona State University with a bachelor's degree. Oh yeah. wow! I couldn't be more proud. And mm-hmm. he's got a job at the VA. Uh, mm-hmm. He wants to be a dietitian. Yeah. He's talking about going to get his master's degree. Okay, there's nothing wrong with his intelligence. He's just socially awkward. But right. in the old days, and even some people now go, "Oh, they're never going to be anything," and that's not true. Yeah. And yeah. and so that's it's frustrating for me sometimes because there are plenty. My friend who I wrote the book for, she's got a 31 year old son who's autistic, but he's like a six year old and he'll be that way forever. So you've got these two kids with autism and it's a totally different animal. Um, well, so yeah, on a spectrum. Yeah, I have a, I have a cousin who's um, who's a genius, but he cannot handle society. He cannot hold a normal yeah. conversation. Um, and he basically works at Kroger as a bag boy. Well, but and he's working. Even though he's got what is very close to, he's got like almost, um, uh, uh, an accountant's degree, uh, a bachelor's in accounting, but he just decided he didn't want to go to college anymore one day. He had two credits left. Oh gosh. In class. Yeah. And he decided to quit. And his parents were like, they paid for all of it. And they said, okay. And then he went and he got a job at Kroger. Well, he's got a job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the, the most difficult but thing. I've- he, would, he would never be able to live on his own. Ever. Yeah. And his sister takes care of him. And yeah, her daughter, when she, was, I, when she was 13 years old, she said to me, uh, Aunt Lisa, I know I'm going to be taking care of Brian if something happens to mommy. And that's a big problem. Who, who takes care of him? I'm very fortunate. My son has his own apartment and his only issue is he can't read social cues. Okay. So if his girlfriend says, if he says, Oh, I'm going to go out and play cards with the boys tonight. 
And his girlfriend says, oh, fine, go ahead, yeah. do that. He'd go, okay. Because right. he would be able to read that. But you like, see, oh, maybe she's upset. But you said it's he, fine. Yeah, he, that's he right. Really, He's not remotely yeah. autistic. Hey, I, he doesn't get that every yeah, time. Well, I, know it's a guy thing. I don't know. Right. Well, know he does fine. know what fine means. Yeah. Yeah. But you can you, say to you your son, quickly. when your girlfriend says fine, that's no. Yeah. I try. I, we're, he's gotten better. He's much better than <laughs> he used to be. But, he, he just, you know, training. But, yeah. but I, like you said, Philip can hear the sarcasm. He doesn't know. Yeah, my son can't. He but, can't. You have yeah. to be very direct. He's like, oh, well, I guess I'm, I guess it's okay then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, now have it's you not. liked his significant it's his not. girlfriends and significant pretty- others, or was that just a a an uh? I mean, has he had girlfriends where that came up? Or um, sort of. Yeah, he's he's got a girlfriend now, and he had a okay, you know, well, before, but he's yeah. all, he was very awkward with girls. But let's face it, most young men are yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, um, now, most, some 54-year-olds are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we wind down, this has been, this has been, I mean, we've gone off from really some nice. really good uh, tributaries. Yeah. And, I just want to say, too, I, I watched the about a 30-minute long clip of uh, old sports casts from the Phoenix News oh, station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we did a, we did a real like 19, deep dive on YouTube. 1988. So, uh, yeah, that was when I first came to Phoenix. And I'd worked in Georgia before that, then Rochester, New York, then Phoenix, then ESPN. There were, there were highlights for, um, let's see, the Montreal Expos, the Hartford Whalers, Minnesota North Stars, yeah, um, the Houston Oilers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I the all, all these teams that, that moved me. or don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know, I was lucky because they didn't farm me out and make me do girly stuff. You mm. know, they, they, when I got here and they named me as the beat reporter for the Cardinals, I couldn't have been more impressed because, you know, usually yeah. stations hired me because they were bad stations. You know, they wanted, right. they were the worst rated station in town. So throw a woman on the set doing sports and people might watch, mm-hmm. but I was very lucky. Had a blonde. <laughs> yeah, well, you saw the hair. Come on. It was all about the hair. I did see the hair. That's why yeah. I cut it Honestly, off. Now. I love your hair now. Love I, it. You know what? I said, screw it. I don't care anymore because yeah. no, no, because I, it looks really good. Thank you. Well, when I when I was pushing forty and they wouldn't put me on TV anymore, I'm like, I could have had plastic surgery, and I said no because if that's all I am, then I don't want to be that thing. If yeah, and why does Howard me, Cosell get to be Howard Cosell? I mean, it I'm doesn't matter what men look like. And and as it was pointed out to me, the sports market is 18 to 34 year old males. And once you're over 34, they're not looking at you anymore. Some of them did me a favor, though. I'm glad I got out of it. That I'd done it enough. I I still have nightmares about being late on the set. I don't want to do that mm-hmm. anymore. Well, I saw one Cincinnati connection. I think you had interviewed the archery, the 1988 Olympic archery team. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Jay Barr. Barr. Yeah. Jay Barr. Was there right. was the Daryl Pace on that? Daryl Pace, that's the one. Daryl Pace. No, no, no the archer is Jay Barr, I think. Okay. I remember that one very well because I because I did a stand up in front, like right next to the target, and he shot at me. Oh wow! I remember that. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I did that. a series on Olympic athletes, five Olympic athletes, and he was one of them. And he he shot at the target, and I was right next to it. And oh it my went, god! Boom, boom! Two coming in. My <laughs> boss was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, oh. "Yeah, right." 
Hey, and you know what? Check the insurance. I used to let my brother throw things at targets that were behind me. So I would have not thought a thing about standing right next to the archery target. I'm thinking this man's an Olympic archer. He's probably not going to hurt me. But if he sneezed or something, I had a habit of doing things like that. I On that same series, there was a gentleman who was a show jumper, uh, an equestrian you know, competitor. And I got out there and he was a jerk. Sometimes I ran into guys who didn't think I should be a sports reporter. And I mentioned that I used to ride. I rode in Ohio, but we'd ride through the woods, right? I'm not jumping trees into rivers and things. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I said, oh, yeah, I used to ride. And and he threw me the reins. He goes, go ahead. Let's see you. And my cameraman went, don't do this. And I was like, screw you, buddy, right? And I get on the <laughs> horse, not realizing I'd never been on an English saddle before. I've always been on a Western saddle that has a pommel. You know, like where you rope the cows. So, you know, people who don't know how to ride can grab the pummel, right? I get up there and this horse was magnificent and the guy's laughing at me and I kicked the horse and we got right up to like this fence that was about three, three and a half feet high. And I panicked and I pulled him back and the guy laughed at me. So I wheeled the horse around again and jumped the course. It was the dumbest, one of the dumbest things I have ever done. I had done it. Yeah, I, I had my my hand. Never in a, been on a jumper before. Don't care. Yeah, well, that I, I had my hand so entangled in that horse's mane, I it was a death grip. Yeah, and uh, and it went on the news, and my boss said, "What are you doing?" And I went, "Well, I promise I won't do that again because I'm lucky I didn't die." Yeah, because we we jumped one jump that went down several feet below yeah. into a into a water feature. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to die. Been a Christmas he wasn't Reed laughing situation. when I was done. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and, and yeah. there you have to consider that it's not just him that's a professional, but the horse is yes. a professional. Yeah. I was lucky. I was very lucky I didn't hurt myself or the horse. I was worried I would hurt the horse. But, right, exactly. But the that horse was- knew exactly what to do. But, you know, I ran into guys like that periodically that seemed to think I didn't belong. And we I had a coach like that like, here. I always yeah. felt like flipping them off and saying, okay, let me show you. But sometimes that can get you in trouble. Yeah. Like, for instance, on a show jump horse. Yes. Well, Sam Weish, Sam Weish made that. horse jumping. When Sam Weish yeah. was coach of the Bengals, he made a big, he made a, uh, headlines because he, uh, he, he, he ushered a female reporter out of the locker room one time and yes. whatever. Made, they, yeah. There was constant back then because women were just starting to do that. Um, there was always the story about, oh my gosh, what if she goes in the locker room? Well, I had to go in the locker room. And quite yeah. honestly, it's disgusting in there. It smells. <laughs> there's men can be, and, and then you know, there's at least one player who's going to wave it in front of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? That was okay. I, the yeah. only problem with that is when it's an NBA locker room mm-hmm. because they're like giant and I'm five, seven. So it was always kind of like, oh, crap, you know, they're naked. But uh, look, if they had promised to come out to be interviewed, I wouldn't have gone in a locker room. And I preferred the way colleges do it. No, no reporters go in college locker rooms. They bring them to you. Yeah. Um, Ridiculous to go in Fill out a little form. It says, who would you like to interview? And those players are brought to you. That is a much more rational way to do it. However, players sneak out without being interviewed, especially if they had a bad game. So we had to go in. And but I got in. I would stand there so everybody knew I was there. Do my interview and go right away. I didn't stand around and loiter in there because it's not a very nice place to hang out. But I had no choice. I was going to make a deadline. I had to go in. Any guy that waved it in front of me, I would have been like, 
Oh, honey, um, <laughs> I'm only here for the basketball. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no. it must- <laughs> Makes all the sense no in the world. What it looked like. I'm wondering why the Reds are holding. Every guy that's waving it in front of you thinks it's either, you know. I'm wondering why the Reds are doing press conferences when they're like 50 and 96 or something. But it's probably for that reason. You know, I'm like, why are they having a press conference for a team that's like completely out of the race or whatever? But they do it every night because right. there's less and, and less so of what you're talking everybody can be interviewed. Yeah. So they, the reporters, now reporters hate that because they all want to interview them personally. They want the a player yeah, to respond they. to their questions. But there's no time for that. Yeah. It takes right. it's ridiculous, especially when you're dealing with like a football team with all those players. You know what they do? They just pass the paper. Then around they have to answer the same talk. question to different people too. Right, right. So, yeah. um, I but I do think that players that sneak out, they should be fined because let's face it, we're the ones putting their names out there before the social media war, world started. Yeah. So we're yeah. the ones that are upping their their popularity quotient. So, but and they're better about that now. Yeah. I remember when, when Joe Nuxall did the Star of the Game show, they used to be like, oh, and George Foster gets a honey-baked ham for appearing on the Star of the Game. <laughs> you know, it's like right. all these guys would do it for him for very little pay. And, you know, it was part of their obligation. But as time went on, he got stood up so many times. Well, you and, and look, there are yeah. people that won't they talk to me. About that. There were players that wouldn't talk to me. And and today they'd force them to do that. But I don't want to interview someone who's who doesn't want to be around me. Yeah, um, yeah. they're uncomfortable. Yeah, start coming up with absolutely ridiculous questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> well, Lisa, let's yeah. go around the room here for our last questions okay. for Anne. Um, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you would particularly like to highlight? Um, I don't really know who your uh, who your audience is, so I'm not sure how to share that. Very gene- general, eclectic, general purpose. <laughs> then I, I I will share a sports thing. Um, everybody who plays a sport or has children who play sports, I would like you to once go out and officiate a game. Mm. I, I'm serious. Um, nobody understands what that's like, and if we don't get people to understand it better. We won't have any games. We have uh, my grandkids' little league. They have teenagers. Yeah, and you know that those kids are getting attacked. Those fifteen-year-old umpires are getting attacked by people. They're really, they're really good about it at at this place because they'll you'll get kicked out of the whole. Well, and that's 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 good. And I know, like as a high school official, I had protection. If a high school coach did something to me, they could lose their job. But when you do other amateur sports, like I work men's leagues, you know, where you got 40 year old guys who think they're still scouts in the stands. And uh, there was no protection there. They could do whatever they wanted to me. And there's no protection. Same way with some little leagues and pop, you know, pop Warner football. If they're not run really well, um, they're big problems. And pretty soon they're going to be a lot of games. The games canceled every day in this country because not enough officials showed up. I retired in nineteen uh, in 2019 from officiating, and I can't tell you how often it was that we might only have three people on a high school uh, JV or freshman game. That's really hard to do yeah. in a football game, or one person working. Hard a to get the calls game. right. <laughs> yeah, and one person working a baseball game, and they're yeah. angry because I can't see a, a, whether a guy trapped a ball out in center field. I'm behind the plate. Yeah, you're farther away than anyone. <laughs> yes, my niece did. Uh, uh, Kids soccer. She was a soccer player in high school and she did the younger kids games. And well, you know, it's Liz. So, uh, five foot feet of rabid hard ass chick is what she, that's what you need. 
You need yeah. to be she, I hard. can see her facing down at five foot, weighing like I think she's really four foot eleven. But um, she, I think she once said she was four foot twelve. But you know, I could see her standing there facing down the coaches and the players in in Major League Football, and them going, "Okay, yeah." You know, but but understand it. It can be extremely stressful. Yeah, it's it's uh, difficult yeah. to remember all the rules, especially when you have people uh, in in high school ball saying that wasn't a catchable pass. Well, that's not a high school rule. That's right. a Sunday rule. So, right, one foot it, in for college, one yeah, two feet. Yeah, it's in totally in. different. So people screaming and yelling, they don't know what they're talking about, but they think they do, and they are running off officials. They didn't, right they didn't have to pass a test, right? Yeah. Right. And I would say, I would calmly say, coach, this is a Sunday rule. This is Friday night. And they would tell me I was an idiot. And yeah. the problem is we are taught never to respond in anger. I always have to have my hands behind my back when I talk to a coach so they can't say I touched them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really problematic. And, and, and if we don't fix it at the lower levels, the, then you're not going to have any officials and then we're not going to have any games. Yeah. And I don't think people understand what a problem it is. Yeah. Good points. Aaron? That's a good thing to get across. Got anything? Oh, um, we do want to know the name of your new book. Um, oh, well, okay. It's not been Sorry, sold. I, I had another one. The Castle just came out. That's the one about the serial rapist um, mm-hmm. in a national park. Um, so that's The Castle. But yeah, people can go to my website, uh, Ann Montgomery. So Uncle, Uncle Bud? Oh, Uncle Bud. That's called Forgotten Sons. Um, okay. We've been trying to sell that for a year and a half, but people think it's gruesome because it is. Uh, but yeah. there's a point. But sometimes you need to make gruesome. Have yeah. you thought of self-publishing? I don't want to do that at this point. I mean, I have three publishers right now. Think mm-hmm. of publishing like minor league baseball. Self-publish is like you're just playing around in your backyard. A-ball can be a very tiny publisher in a in a specific town. I'm like in AAA now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still not up with the big giant publishers, which means I'm very fortunate that I have a teacher pension. You know, yeah. and my social security. I right. don't know that I'll ever make any money being a writer, but that's okay. I enjoy it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, I thought for the for the one that's hard to sell, maybe you'd want to just. I want it. I want to move up. So <laughs> while my publishers I'm with now might want might publish it, I'd like to move up a little bit. So yeah. I'm trying to branch out, and and on top of that, publishers close all the time. I've had two or three yeah. publishers shut down, and uh, so I I'd, I'd like to well, keep especially moving. in the world keep, the keep my options open. You know. Yeah. Right. So let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and uh, give us your socials as we go out here, and so people know social media find. handles yeah. or anything. Oh, I don't think I can. Other than my website, I can't repeat okay. them. I can, I can send them to you. Yeah. Are they are they accessible from your website? Probably. Yeah, and, they are. And and montgomerywriter.com and montgomerywriter.com and, and, and with an e yeah. yeah all right all right Anne. and and they're all okay. listed yeah and fantastic we really enjoyed it yeah it's a pleasure well, i do too yeah. yeah you have a good uh rest of your uh sunday evening i will i'm gonna go now read this happy page. labor day okay. yep. yeah, yeah you too and, and try to stay cool okay yep. thank you bye-bye bye bye we have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Hey.